This is an ABC podcast. And this one is called I've Got You Baby from the album Slave. Hi, Miyuki Yokiranta here, and this is Earshot. In 2005, a young entrepreneur took a risk and toured a South African reggae star to parts of Australia that don't usually see big-name international acts. In Alice Springs and Darwin, huge crowds came to see him. Many travelled hundreds, even thousands of kilometres from remote communities. He touched the old people's hearts that night and some of them really cried, you know, to see him first time. (laughs) As soon as I saw him walking to the stage, I was just speechless, you know. It was just mind-blowing. The star walking onto the stage that night was Lucky Dubé. And while he might have been relatively unknown across most of the country, in the remote Aboriginal communities of Central Australia, he was bigger than the Beatles. If I said I'm from South Africa, and they would say, oh, they would either mention Nelson Mandela or Lucky Dubé. Producer Rhiannon Stevens takes us to the desert to find out what it was about Lucky Dubé that sparked reggae mania and the legacy he left behind. It's late afternoon and pink light is bouncing off a huge corrugated iron shed in Wingalina, a tiny remote community tucked just inside the West Australian border. It's where the Gibson and Great Victoria deserts meet, red sand and spinifex country. I'm here for the annual Battle of the Bands. People have travelled huge distances from communities all across the vast Nanandara lands to be here. But when the music starts, I'm really surprised to hear it's all reggae, a high-energy beat. It seems at odds with the slow burn of life in the desert. I had no idea this was a thing, but a music producer I meet on the night, James Winwood, tells me it is. Yeah, it's sort of loosely called, you know, the desert reggae sound, and it can be a pretty up-tempo, energetic form of reggae. It's almost closer to ska. It's got the really sort of four-on-the-floor stomping kick drum and the vibing, vibrant, uh, upbeat, you know, keyboard lines and, and the jangly sort of reggae guitars. That's almost a little bit punk in a way. It was James who first told me about the legendary Lucky Dube. There's a South African musician, Lucky Dube, and I've just seen Lucky Dube come up so much and heard his influence, you know, so strongly in a lot of the band's music. You know, just one musician who's relatively well-known in South Africa, but outside of, you know, the desert in broader coastal Australia doesn't necessarily have as big a name as he does out here. So who exactly is this Lucky Dube? Why have most of us never heard of him? And why did he make such a lasting impression on the music born in the red dirt of Central Australia? Lucky's message was that it's about a common experience as black people being victims of racial oppression, standing together to fight for our dignity and our place in the world. It's a message that reached hundreds of kilometres northwest of Alice Springs to the small community of Papanya. I'm in the car with Jason Butcher, 
who plays lead guitar for the Chippy Band. They're legends of the desert reggae scene. And this is his hometown, where it all began. Yeah, that building, that's where my grandfather used to cut meat. And that's where we got the name Butcher. Some of Papunya's streets are named after the painters who started the Western Desert art movement in the 1970s. There's Possum Crescent, after Clifford Possum, and Carper Court, after Carper Jampajimpa. But painters aren't the only ones around here who unexpectedly burst onto the world stage and made it big. It was here that Jason's dad, Sammy Butcher, formed the Warumpi Band with Neil Murray. But there's another, less well-known musical adventure that took hold around here too, desert reggae. Jason's in his mid-30s, but he's been playing reggae since he was a kid, and he vividly remembers the moment he was hooked. I was this little boy at playing outside and I heard the first song, Victim. just made me feel, feel the beat and I wanted to listen to it over and over. I went and sat next to my father and I asked, who's that? And he told me, that's Lucky Dube. It was the first Lucky Dube cassette in town and it changed everything. Changed everything for me, you know. All I wanted to do is just get Lucky Dubai music. He sings about slave, victim, prisoner, all the strong, powerful words. It just made me think all these people was the victim for the police and he didn't shy away. He was strong man and singing what is right for him and his people, you know. Not just for Africa, for everybody. It opened up my eyes and the way he thinks about the politics and, and the police and the government. He did everything for Aboriginal people from everywhere. But Lucky Dube didn't always play reggae. He started out as an Mbakanga singer. That's a style of Zulu music that was wildly popular in South Africa. His move to reggae was not well received by his Mbakanga fans, but he knew his political message would reach more ears if he sang reggae. And he was right. The things that draws a lot of people to Lucky's music, especially black people all over the world, he sings a lot about the things that they have experienced, colonial, oppression, uh, dispossession of their lands. I mean, he goes far beyond that. He also sings a lot about family breakdown and all the social problems that are caused by, by poverty. That's Fazile Mpele. He was exiled in Australia during the apartheid era in South Africa, and he now works at Bachelor College in the Northern Territory, where he's bonded with many Aboriginal students over Lucky. If I said I'm from South Africa and they would say, oh, they would either mention uh, either Nelson Mandela or Lucky Dube. So who is Lucky Dube? Who is Lucky Dube? 
This is him, in his own words, talking to Fakisha Kumbo of Case International TV in New York in the early 90s. Like Dube is a singer from South Africa. He is trying to make sense out of life, trying to send a message across to people everywhere in the world, calling for unity amongst people, not just black people, but white people, green people, whatever people there are. And here he is talking with Paul Tusi on the ABC program Away in 1992. Everything that I sing about on those albums are things that I have experienced. I do music to entertain, to educate and to unite people. But, you know, the traditional Aboriginal music, traditional desert music was uh, cascading melodies starting up higher and uh, extending for the duration of the verse until everybody ran out of breath and then you have a little rest. I'm with music producer Bill Davis at his home in Alice Springs. He's been recording Aboriginal bands in Central Australia for more than 40 years. And then along came some gospel music. The missionaries uh, started writing songs, hymns in language. And then along came technology, which made it possible to have an electric guitar where you could bend strings and other parts of the, the musical spectrum could be more fully expressed, and drums and bass. So the music, I guess, was rock. It was sort of gospel, country and western, and rock. Rock is one, two, three, four, and the, the, the kick drum is going dum, 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 like that. Uh, along the way, we began to hear the influences of Bob Marley, the Wailers, and the beat for that was on the second and the fourth. That was and gradually, well, actually, quite quickly, people realised that this was a form. <laughs> Boy, did I get sick of it! A minor to G, A minor to G, ad infinitum. Um, but you know, uh, it was a form of music that was definitely, you know, derived in the desert here, and um, comparatively simple to play. Um, you didn't need to uh, be the musical genius with all of your classical chops or anything to be able to get to playing desert reggae. So desert reggae was born, you know, in that period of time during the 90s, really. There are a few bands picking up reggae about this time mostly in the communities northwest of Alice Springs. Aside from the Chupi Band, other early pioneers included La Gimano Teenage Band, the North Tanami Band, and these guys, Desert Mulga. The ability of musicians to recognise that they have got the chance to talk about their country, to talk about their welter, their relations, to talk about their rights, to talk about domestic violence, the much more immediate things that influence the way you look at the world, this is something that marks it as being very different to mainstream. They're ideals that captured the imagination of Jason Butcher and the other members of the Chupi Band. And we're singing about our community and our people, you know, about where we belong and where 
our ancestors come from and telling stories. Do you have a favorite Tupi song? Um, it's probably Wati. Wati means man. It's reggae and slow reggae. And it's, it's about one young fella who always wanted to go Alice Spring and drink around. Didn't worry about his family, didn't worry about his kid and his wife. It's about don't drinking, like don't drink in Alice Springs and drinking is bad for you. Come back home to your family, you know, your kids. Like many bands in the desert, lots of Chupi's songs have strong messages about doing the right thing. It's the kind of songwriting Jason's dad, Sammy Butcher, has encouraged in Papanya since his days with the Warumpi band. Reggae became so good for mob. It's a long way from Africa for apartheid and being with the black and white thing. He done so much. So people like us, we trying to talk to the mainstream Australia. Look, and we got to be one, you, me, every one of us. Yes, my name is Reggae Joe, taking you till two o'clock uh, this afternoon, Central Standard Time on the Reggae Show. And don't forget, coming up on the Reggae Show, I'll be talking to After the initial buzz of that legendary Lucky Dubai cassette in Papanya, Scott Bucock, a young entrepreneur, was looking to bring a big-name international act to Alice Springs. He'd been throwing around suggestions with his friend, Reggae Joe Miller, who hosted a reggae show at the Aboriginal radio station, Karma. Uh, and then suddenly, it was just one day, he, he said, well, what about Lucky Dubay? I said, Lucky Dubay? I said, who's Lucky Dubay? Uh, Joe said to me, he goes, Scotty, this guy, he's, he's just going to attract all this attention and, and all this. And of course, I just couldn't Google it back then. You just didn't know. But Joe had been hearing Lucky's popularity grow over the airwaves of Central Australia. Lucky Dubé was one of the favourites. And then the community relate to, to all the songs and they always requested Lucky Dubé's uh, songs. And it gets very, very popular. And for example, like Slave. A slave is not about slave. It's slave is slave to the alcohol. You know, if you're an alcoholic, please don't be a slave to it. That's the song that's most popular. And together as one, which is whether you are black or white, we are together as one. Then people just keeps on sending me requests of Lucky Dube, and then I end up interviewing him. As the conversation goes on, I end up bringing him to Alice Springs. And that was exciting, because this the, the smile, I don't know if you've ever met Joe, but he's got a, a smile um, that would light up anyone's face, and he just couldn't, I couldn't wipe it off him. When I started to tell people that Lucky was coming, it was instantaneous that my phone started ringing. TNF, we had social media back then, it would have been electrified with him. Lucky toured the top end in May 2005 and Alice Springs, 
where about 4,000 people came to see him play. It was packed out, too many people couldn't wait to see him play. My legs were just moving around. I was looking at the time, when when he's going to jump on. On behalf of all of us in the Northern Territory and anywhere in the Central Australia, we welcome Lucky Dubai in the Territory. So Lucky stood on that stage when we arrived. He stood there and he didn't say a word and he just looked. And you can see all the bushes and all the eucalyptus and all the gums and all the red sand and all the red... Ma- it's a most gorgeous view. And I remember when everything was set up and he just stood and looked at it all. And it was it was one of those moments where you think he, he's standing in the middle of Australia and he's about to do a concert in front of a, a, a very large Indigenous audience because at that point we knew how big it was going to be because of all the buses that were registered to come in. And I'll never to this day know what he was thinking, but I'm guessing he was thinking it was a very special moment. Lucky springs onto the stage, wearing a white, silky suit. His dreadlocks are flying, his limbs are loose, and he jumps Zulu style. And then he goes up on stage, starts singing. As he sang, everyone was singing along with the words. So it was a great success. The tour was such a success, Reggae Joe was considering another. Uh, to have the indigenous Australians loving his music, he was heartfelt, he, uh, he, he was humbled by it. And uh, he, he was humbled and he wanted to come back. And, but unfortunately it didn't happen. South Africa's most popular reggae artist, Lucky Dubé, has been shot dead in Johannesburg. The 43-year-old musician was shot and killed as he was dropping his son off close to the centre of the city. Police believe he may have been the victim of a carjacking attempt and they're searching for three suspects. I heard it on radio and and I couldn't... I didn't want to believe it. I didn't, I didn't want to believe it that they, he passed away. Lucky was killed on the 18th of October, 2007. He was just 43. His manager says his death will be felt by millions. And it is. Grief snakes its way all through the centre of Australia. Fazile Mpele felt it deeply. His death was kind of a loss of... I think one of our most powerful voices for us as, as African Australians. You know, it, it was like through Lucky, the, the message about our, our, our history, our, uh, our misery, our, our suffering, our difficult past. You know, Lucky was a huge voice in taking that out onto the international scene and explaining how we feel. When people like him die, it's so tragic because people feel like, oh, he was going to lead us to, to, to our freedom, and now he's gone. Who's going to take us the rest of the journey? When Lucky died, Fazile belonged to the Africa-Australia Friendship Association in Darwin. They decided to hold a small memorial. But when they arrived, hundreds were waiting many of them Aboriginal people who travelled from remote communities and camped overnight outside the hall. You know, it was one of those 
pinch your skin moments where you actually th- actually thought, oh, is this real or is this a movie? Am I in a movie? There were kids lined up on both sides of the road with with flags, jumping and waving flags. And it led to another memorial in the tiny, remote community of Milangimbi, hundreds of kilometres away in northeast Arnhem Land. It was organised by Jan J. Baker. So what happened, all the people from four camps came with the flowers and we walked over to the beach and we threw the flowers under the sea. Did some singings and just giving him a, a say goodbye. That was it, everybody. Oh, you should have seen all the kids crying. Lucky to play, he fought real hard. They struggle, same, same like Limurdiel in Annam Land. It's 2007, so the federal government's intervention into remote Aboriginal communities is underway. Millingimbi elder Keith Lapalung urges people to take inspiration from Lucky as they deal with the shock intrusion by the Defence Force. With this intervention coming up, Alimur to stand strong. Black people in Arnhem Land too. Music is one of the political knowing that you can bring your argument case throughout the world. Talking doesn't help, but music will. In the crowd mourning the loss of Lucky that day was a young boy growing up in Millingimbi. It's the most, most beautiful and most inspiring moment of my life. That young boy was Danzel Baker, better known these days as Baker Boy, rapper, Young Australian of the Year, and big fan of Lucky Dubey. Who could have thought, like, you know, Lucky Dubey could, like, connect with um, communities such as Milingimbi, like, all the way in you know, northeast Arnhem Land, a little island. It was Baker Boy's grandma, Jan J. Baker, who introduced him to Lucky Dubey. And what is it about his music that you find so beautiful and perhaps he... And well, what do you think? All the Aboriginal people, they like Lucky Dubai's music. This is Christian, Christian-based music. But is it also the political messages in his music that appeal no, to people? No, no, no political. It was all perfect. And that's when we knew that he was there to help people understand that you have to stay and work and realise that you're working for people, your mums and dads, your grandmothers, and base that music to them them, and for their past and future. Definitely um, agree with what Grandma said because she kind of like introduced us to like Lucky Deep kind of vibe and style. And my music is about positive choices and being a next role model for the community and being in control of your future. Now I still listen to Lucky Doop and now I kind of like understand what he's actually saying and like singing about and like it's like what everyone goes through in life every day. So 
Lucky's death didn't dampen his popularity. If anything, the opposite happened, not just for Baker Boy. Back in the desert, Lucky's influence was being felt more than ever. Alice Springs-based producer, Bill Davis, remembers the Tupi band's lead singer starting to dance like Lucky. He did the high step on the two and four, lifted his knees up, he had the Lucky Dubai dance down, he suddenly you found... <laughs> you found uh, I don't know Yappa, you know, walking around with um, army fatigues and uh, wearing those army caps and uh, and sunglasses at night. Lucky's influence can be heard in the music too. So therefore, you got those big brass sort of sections uh, and everybody playing in blocks, going. Dun, 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 drum roll, then, you know, that sort of thing, which was sort of uh, a copy in its own way of Lucky Dubai's uh, presentations. And also the use of the keyboard there for that floating flute, because you've got a bender in your left hand and you can bend the, the note up to where it's meant to go. So that was a Lucky Dubai thing too. The keyboard player with Lucky Dubai did that and so everybody copied him as well. Yeah, it spreads like wildfire. From Papunya to Alice to Warburton, across the whole Western Desert cultural block, Lucky's music took hold. There's one here which has got a lot of stuff of mine in it. I'm in the lounge room of Ross Muir. He ran a music program with inmates at the Alice Springs prison for 17 years. With such high Aboriginal incarceration rates, it's not a shock to learn that Lucky Dubay was a hit inside as well. When Ross first started recording, the reggae scene was still emerging, but now... You'd be hard-pressed to find any other type of music in this area. And why has it stuck around? Why has it solidified? Apparently Lucky Dubai toured. And these fellas, they're like sponges. If they see something that they like, they don't let their intellect get in the way of it. They just absorb it. And they just went for it and loved it. The music Ross recorded with the prisoners is one of the largest collections of desert reggae. He recorded more than a thousand original songs with them. Some of that stuff was world class. Yeah. Any top guitar player would be so happy with that solo, and he didn't practice that there. He just played it off the top of his head with the band, no second take. There are many, many, many desert reggae songs about being in prison like this one by the Red Sand Beat Band. These guys are in their early 20s, a generation younger than the desert's pioneering reggae bands, but they still cite Lucky as a big influence. And it's the same old story. These kids grew up listening to old CDs of Lucky Dubay that found their way into town. Uh, when I was young, we used to listen to Lucky Dube and Bob Marley. First album I was listening to Taxman. And that was my favorite reggae songs. That's why we started playing reggae. It's like we all one mob, same color but different people. That's Granville Westlake, and it's his band, the Red Sand Beat Band, that you can hear now. When you're inside locked up, you have no freedom. Well, you're thinking about families having a free time outside when you have no company, when you're with strangers, you don't feel happy. When you're with like Nandara people, 
he'll be right. That's why they wrote a song about sitting inside a prison, thinking about families. Our men in particular, nearly all of them, are subject to some sort of monitoring under the criminal justice system. So a lot of them are either in jail, on bail, or um, on a list. Cato Muir's an anthropologist and an Alia man. His mother walked out of the bush, not too far from where we're sitting, here in Leonora. He's more into country music than reggae, but he's got his own theories about why reggae resonates so deeply. And part of that institutionalisation, you know, the intervention in the Northern Territory is classic. That's basically coming in to take control of the lands, but also remind people, hey, we're the nation state. And so out of that... Music is the way in which people can express themselves and communicate in a non-threatening way. There's not a lot of uh, light-hearted messages in a lot of these Aboriginal uh, Aboriginal music. Like Ngandara people, they know what we're singing about. It's about like grandfather's homeland and a place called Milindjaradis Wobotan. And some songs we sing about like my life. It's like for girls, you know, and boys together. <laughs> like romance songs. Yeah. It's like um, like it's like a message for that girl, you know, like when you break up with her and start singing a song, that girl will be lovesick and coming back to him. So it's not all about the heavy stuff, but music out here does act like a glue. It binds communities together in creative expression. Kato Muir. I look at it and I'm reminded of uh, a fellow called Louis Riel, who was a Mete in Canada. One of his famous quotes was, uh, my people will go to sleep for a hundred years and it will be the arts that will give them their spirit back. That same experience can be played out here in Australia and that's why a lot of those songs are about, you know, culture, identity, relationships, being able to continue that conversation through music and share those experiences. The songs are about keeping that dream alive. People are, are people everywhere. The things that I sing about are things that people everywhere in the world have experienced. And so people relate to the things that I sing about because it's not just things happening in my mind, it's things happening in real life to real people. If it wasn't for Lucky Dube, we wouldn't be playing reggae today. We would be still playing rock and blues and country. And I think he must be looking down to us and smiling and telling us to keep playing music. Keep playing that music. This story was produced by ABC Kalgoorlie's Rhiannon Stevens. Kirsty Melville was the supervising producer, and the sound engineer was David LeMay. If you want to see some pictures of Lucky Dubey, or to find out what tracks you heard, just head to the Earshot website. I'm Miyuki Okiranta, and I'll catch you next time with more Blissed Out Earshot.
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.